There's no secret formula for scaling support and boosting customer satisfaction. But there is the all-new service hub from HubSpot. It makes it infinitely easier to scale customer support and increase retention. By bringing service and support together in one powerful platform, you can deliver the best experiences for your customers and your teams. Free up time for your reps to focus on complex issues with an AI-powered help desk. Proactively drive retention with customer health scores that help keep your business ahead, stopping churn in its tracks. And give your entire go-to-market team the data they need to operate as one unified, powerful front. Also, you can better connect with customers and keep them happy. Secrets out. HubSpot Service Hub is a game changer. Visit HubSpot.com service to do more for your customers today. Good morning, everyone. It is Wednesday, June 7th. I'm Rob Litterst here with Jacob Cohen and Mark Dent, and you are listening to The Hustle Daily Show. Today, we're going to dive deep on two topics that are near and dear to our hearts. First, Jacob is going to break down the current state of non-compete clauses for American workers. And then Mark is going to help explain what the heck is going on in the world of professional golf, which just announced a monumental merger. Before we get to any of that, let's talk about what else is happening in the world of business and tech. Crypto crackdowns seem to be all the rage these days. The day after suing Binance for alleged securities violations, the SEC also sued Coinbase for allegedly operating as an unregistered exchange. Shares dropped 16%. And what would today's episode be without following up on Apple's biggest announcement in years? Perhaps you heard the Vision Pro headset was unveiled this week. It still costs $3,500. It's still not arriving too soon, but now journalists have actually tried it. And the verdict? It's pretty good. Wall Street Journal tech reporter Joanna Stern called the Vision Pro by far the best headset out there. And Marcus Brownlee, aka MKBHD, said some features are the best I have ever seen in any VR headset by a mile. It's still pretty expensive, though. (laughs) It is. Swimply, the app that lets you rent other people's pools, will now also let users rent pickleball courts. And Gannett, which owns 218 daily media outlets in the US and UK, may have a bit of a problem. Journalists in seven states walked off their jobs this week in protests, citing both inadequate pay and increased work duties. And lastly, in the genius marketing move of the day, there is now a Cheez-It filling station in California's Joshua Tree National Park. But instead of gas, the pump shoots out little bags of Cheez-Its. This is genius on multiple levels. I mean, first of all, everybody loves Cheez-Its. Second of all, a lot of the people that are going to the Joshua Tree, I think, might be on some substances that might make you a little (laughs) bit hungry, and Cheez-Its are just going to fill that void perfectly. Yes, yes, I would agree with that. All right. So let's get into the big stuff today. JC, can you tell us what is going on with non-competes? I know they're a massive annoyance to a lot of tech workers and people in other Mm -hmm. markets. What's the current state of these things? Yeah. So it's a story about a document that directly impacts tens of millions of Americans, for better or worse, most would tell you for worse, and changes to it can potentially have an enormous impact on the economy. So I think first, to clarify just what are non-competes, for those who might not really know. So a non-compete is this document that a worker has to sign to be able to start a job at a company that limits when and where the worker can go work if they decide to leave. You'd expect, you know, when you leave a job, that's it, right? But it's really not the case. And it makes for a kind of nasty imbalance of power. 
originally, they actually made a lot of sense. Non-competes were used really for high-level executives at companies who were in possession of trade secrets. So that makes sense. But today, they're found everywhere for all levels and all kinds of positions. There's even some horror stories of non-competes being used for low-wage restaurant workers. The big picture problem here from a worker mobility perspective is that we're living in a world where your boss can essentially maintain control over not just your current job, if you think like the classic climbing the corporate ladder narrative, but also your future job in terms of this non-compete wall that's blocking you, so to speak. The point is, very few companies are really using these for what they were originally intended for, and that's why you're seeing lots of pushback now in the news around them. So working in tech, you hear about these all the time. I think you gave a really great breakdown on kind of what they are, but why are they in the news right now? Yeah, so earlier this year, the Federal Trade Commission proposed a law banning non-competes, and that's expected to be voted on next April. There could be some changes to it by then, but it was a big deal that they proposed that. Then late last month, Minnesota became the fourth state, along with California, North Dakota, and Oklahoma, to ban post-employment non-compete agreements. And a couple weeks back, also, the general counsel of the National Labor Relations Board said overly broad non-compete agreements violate the National Labor Relations Act. So there's just been an increasing amount of pushback against them and other agreements like them. But I think most interesting to me is What's their impact on the economy at the end of the day? Like, how does this impact people's wages and the economy at large? And a lot of people will tell you non-competes are exactly that, anti-competition. So some will argue they put the no in innovation also. They prevent mobility, which can prevent efficiency in the market. It can slow down product development of new technologies. Not super capitalistic by the sound of it, right? Studies have found some 18% of U.S. workers are bound by these contracts, and the FTC says a ban would open up career mobility for 30 million Americans and increase wages by, get this, $300 billion a year in the U.S. So, you know, it's a document that's problematic for millions and millions of Americans, and it may be going away next year. Who knows? We'll see. Yeah. When I think about this, I think of like somebody from Coke running away with the secret recipe and like taking it to Pepsi or something like that. Exactly. There's been stuff like that happening. (laughs) What was the lawsuit? I think one of Google's autonomous driving engineers left to go to Uber and like took a bunch of the documentation for like what they were working on. And so there's a massive lawsuit about that. But the number of workers where this is actually an issue, where they would actually have enough specialized knowledge to make a difference is so, so small. It just seems super prohibitive, especially when you're like kind of limiting the mobility of younger workers who are trying to create expertise in a specific domain, right? And it's like, well, you're going to learn a ton about this, but you can't go to any of these other companies (laughs) that do this, you know? And even if you have expertise in a domain already, it's like if you're looking to switch your job for some reason, move to a different company, and you only have a specific area of expertise you might be prevented from going anywhere, which is problematic, doesn't make a lot of sense. It's also weird, and this is more with regard to non-solicitation agreements. There are people who aren't able to go work with someone who just happened to leave their company, even if they're working in a completely different industry. So these rules have gotten to this point where the real use cases and the real world instances of how they're being used just don't make a lot of logical sense. And I think people are figuring that out. Obviously, now we've had a really hot labor market workers have been pretty empowered to take a stand on some of this stuff. And I think that's what we're seeing more of. 
All right, Mark. So I don't know how many listeners pay a ton of attention to professional golf, but there has been a lot of drama in the golf world over the last year with the emergence of the Live Tour, which is basically another professional golf tour that has lured a lot of golfers away with a lot of money from the PGA Tour. Big announcement yesterday. Can you help explain what the heck is going on in the world of golf and what's going to happen going forward? Rob, I'm glad you brought up how many of our listeners really follow golf because it is a niche sport. Very niche. This is a huge, huge business story that does have global implications that could reverberate for years to come as well. So what happened, as you mentioned, Live was this golf tour cooked up by Saudi Arabia's public investment fund, which is more or less Saudi Arabia's huge amount of cash reserves that they're investing in numerous types of projects, including sports, tourism, and things of that nature to try to kind of conceal some of their abhorrent human rights records and also to make more money as they fear their oil reserves will be less and less valuable. So Liv lured all these golfers with million-dollar advances, you know, oftentimes for tens of millions of dollars, and they would pledge that they'd be able to win maybe hundreds of millions. Some of those golfers were people like Brooks Kepka, Phil Mickelson, a retired golfer named Greg Norman helped organize everything. So it created this huge rivalry with the PGA and a lot of lawsuits, and now all of those are coming to an end because they have decided to merge. What's going to happen in technical terms, although not all the details are available yet, is Live will be dissolved and there will be a new league created with a name that's yet to be announced. And it's going to essentially combine Live and PGA together. So the enemies have come together and it's truly a shocking story. So are they now frenemies or they dropped all the, you know, bad relationship kind of stuff? They're not even frenemies now at this point. Okay. At least based on what the kind of early news has been and the commissioner of the PGA and an executive within the public investment fund of Saudi Arabia, they came on CNBC to announce it on Tuesday morning. And like I said, live will cease to exist. That's like the technical, it'll dissolve and then there'll be this new created thing that just involves the PGA and the public investment fund coming together as allies to create a new league that will be the biggest golf league in the world and will probably have more lucrative payments than what the PGA already offers. I think they're just friends at this point and they were enemies prior. (laughs) They were not even friendly at all, right? There was litigation last year. The commissioner of the PGA, Jay Monahan, said, quote, I think you'd have to be living under a rock not to know there are significant implications. I would ask any player who has left or any player who would consider leaving, have you ever had to apologize for being a member of the PGA Tour? So why did they do this at the end of the day? For business purposes? Were they threatened by Liv? And what does this mean for the businesses moving forward? What does it mean for the industry and other sports industries too? Great question, Jacob. It was interesting. Like, Live was a threat to the PGA in that they were offering loads of money and they were drawing some of the best players. They did not get Tiger Woods, for instance, even though they offered him what, what is believed to be $700 million. <laughs> Crazy. Yeah. But at the same time, you know, Live, the tournaments just didn't seem like that big of a deal. They were able to get a TV contract only with the CW. So, in some ways, they didn't seem all that serious. And then, in some ways, they seemed very serious. Golf is interesting. They really rely on sponsors in a very major way. And yeah, there was a lot of thought that, oh, well, Live might not attract sponsors because they're affiliated with Saudi Arabia. And now that the PGA has agreed to merge with the public investment fund under the terms of this agreement, or at least what's been seen so far, the public investment fund, according to the New York Times, is 
quote, the exclusive investor in this operation. And they are expected to kind of have like a first right of refusal on a lot of like investment things. So they could even kind of like build up their power more within this new organization. You also asked about like, what does this overall mean for sports? Saudi Arabia has been getting involved in sports, not just in golf. The Public Investment Fund, they have their hands in the English Premier League. And there's also a soccer league in Saudi Arabia that has been recruiting a couple of the best players in the world, Cristiano Ronaldo and Leo Messi. So you have to wonder how far does Saudi Arabia want to take this? Are they going to get involved in a lot of other sports? It only took them more or less one year to really get all the way inside of golf. The PGA couldn't compete with this. Like you can't compete with somebody who has endless money and doesn't care about making money back. And so they literally just pay these golfers so much money. You alluded to Jay Monahan's comments. Rory McIlroy is one of the best golfers in the world. And he was kind of like the public face of the PGA tour Mm -hmm. for a while with this and was really kind of shaming the golfers that went over to live. But the craziest thing to me is that these golfers that left to go to live are going to keep all these bonuses. So it's like they literally just deflected for a year and made in some cases over a hundred million dollars. That is a huge amount of money for a golfer. Other professional sports, pro basketball, there are players who make that in a couple years, three years, four years. But for golf, that's insane. Like no golfer other than Tiger has made that much money. Right. Some of these live events, like I mentioned, were not exactly these huge TV deals, but the golfer who got last place at those events would still get somewhere in the range of maybe hundreds of thousands, I think maybe even a million. And you wouldn't get close to that if you finished dead last in the PGA. You'd make a fraction of that. I mean, it's not a bad gig. Don't get me wrong to be on the PGA, but <laughs> yeah. the last place golfer in live was paid exceedingly well. Yeah. I don't know if you guys looked at Twitter at all today, but you can just see the live guys relishing this. Phil Mickelson tweeted, awesome day today with one of those cheeky smiley faces. Mm. Brooks Kepka tweeted, welfare check on Shambly, who's a announcer for the PGA Tour who is vehemently against live. So they're just obviously relishing the moment. And a lot of the PGA Tour guys are obviously on the other side of it. But as a golf fan, I'm just excited for all the good golfers to be back because there were a lot of really, really good players that left the PGA Tour for live. And as somebody who watches a decent amount of golf, I think it definitely took away from the competition. Not exactly sure how I feel about the uh, public investment fund having such a big role in the future of golf, but definitely excited to watch some better competition on the weekend. We'll see how that turns out. All right, folks, that's going to do it for us today. Thanks for tuning into the Hustle Daily Show. We are a proud part of the HubSpot Podcast Network. Our editor today is Robert Hartwig, and our executive producer is Darren Clark. We've got a lot more tech and business coverage in our newsletter. If you're not subscribed, what are you doing? Go get yourself signed up at thehustle.co slash email, and we will see you tomorrow. Hey, everybody, I got a great podcast to tell you about. It's called Truth, Lies, and Work, and it's brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network, the audio destination for business professionals. On this show, you can join husband and wife team Alan, Leanne, Elliot, as they dispel myths, impart wisdom, and answer all your questions about finding, keeping, and motivating great people. They actually just did an episode with John Smith, who is the manager and agent of famous Argentinian soccer player Diego Maradona. He talks about in this episode how he was able to manage the global superstar athlete celebrity that Maradona is and was. It's a great listen. You better get out there and check it out. And you can listen to Truth, Lies, and Work wherever you get your podcasts.